0: Welcome to the February 7th sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is John chapter 8 verses 1 through 11, and the sermon is entitled Covered in Forgiveness, delivered today by Pastor Michael Fitzgerald. We're going to continue on in a sermon series through the Gospel of John. Take your Bible. Open it with me to John chapter 8 this morning. We are going to take that step uh, as we Uh, Read these words that are inspired by the very Spirit of God, written through the pen of the old disciple John, the last living disciple of Jesus on earth. And he sorts through the millions of memories and experiences that he has had with Jesus the Christ as he walked with him three years in Jesus' earthly ministry. Some five decades, 50 years had passed since his relationship on an earthly sense with Jesus Christ ended at the cross and the empty tomb. And yet, in those 50 years, God formulated the story, the account of Jesus' life, and he certainly did empower John to write these words down as a gospel, to paint an accurate and beautiful picture of the Savior. And you'll also know in John chapter 20, Uh, We know that the the, uh, disciple John gives us the reason that he wrote the gospel, and that is for a witnessing account to lead the world to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So this is John's witness. We are studying through the witness of the living Lord Jesus Christ. So the message of the gospel is still the bedrock, still the mission, still the ministry of our church today. Amen? What it's about is taking the gospel of Jesus to the world. Now last week we approached the end, the last time I preached, we approached the end of chapter 7. Let me summarize very quickly for you the concluding words of chapter 7 before we move into chapter 8. Jesus is at one of the great high holy days of the Jews. It is called the Feast of the Tabernacles in Jerusalem. And the city over that week-long celebration was teeming with people, all the residents of the city, all the religious leaders of the city, and visitors from around the world coming to this holy day of the Jewish faith. And Jesus boldly stands up within that week in the temple, and He gives the message that He is the Son of God, that He wants to offer living water to every person who would come to Him Uh, It is the central hotspot of the city, and he is giving the gospel within the temple of the living God. And he proclaims himself, and he offers uh, grace and salvation to the thirsty. Anyone who will come and take of that living water, he would give life eternal. The day that Jesus proclaimed that message, offering living water to anyone who would come, many people that day saw him as the prophet or as the messenger of God. They were leaning in to understand Him as the Savior. They'd not gotten there yet, but they knew His message was from God. There were others there who had received Him as the Christ, as the Savior, and they were saved by grace through faith in Him. In that crowd gathered there hearing Jesus, there were also doubters, and those who questioned Him, and those who didn't quite understand the message, or understand the messenger And there were also those within that crowd who outright did not believe Him, rejected Him completely. So we see that the response to Jesus Christ at the temple, at the Feast of Tabernacles was very different across the the people there. We live in a world that it's still the same. The reception of Jesus Christ is different in our culture today. And we stand to say, this is the Christ, this is the Son of God, and you need Him as your Savior. It is our ministry, it is our mission, and we step out with that. So, as we see the reception and the clear call to Jesus, we know that we stand now in the same pathway uh, of 2,000 years ago, offering that good news to the world. Now, in the closing verses of chapter 7, verses 45 through 53, there's one group who adamantly hates Jesus the Savior. They are the religious leaders, the priests and the Pharisees of the Jewish faith. They want him arrested. They wanted him killed. Why was their emotion so deep against him? Because he had pointed them out as hypocrites, as fakes. He had exposed them because their lifestyle was absolutely away from the living God. Though they taught the Word of God, they taught it from their head and not their heart. They had no connection with God. And Jesus had pointed them out and exposed them for their hypocrisy. And yet one of those religious leaders named Nicodemus rises up, and he says to the group of religious leaders who hate Jesus, you all are not being fair to Jesus. You are judging him to hell before you understand that his ministry is from heaven. You need to hear him out. You need to listen to him. You need to hear the message. I'm sure you remember that Jesus met with Nicodemus in chapter 3 of the Gospel of John. But Nicodemus's fellow Jewish religious leaders would not listen to him. And their hearts continued to be hard against Jesus and against his message of being the Savior. And all of them go home their separate ways, all of them still hating Jesus all the more with the exception of Nicodemus. It's a sad close to chapter 7, but that's the environment in which Jesus was preaching and teaching and living. So we open chapter 8 in these moments And as we open chapter 8, this is one of the most memorable scenes of all of Jesus' life and all of Jesus' ministry. He deals with a woman who is brought to Him, caught in the very act of adultery. Now, this is a hugely defining moment for the ministry of Jesus Christ because it defines His ministry not to a chosen few, but to all people. No matter the depth of our sin, no matter how far we are removed from the grace of God, Jesus has a ministry and an outreach to all people. This is a very defining moment for that. And you can't miss this. Dragging this woman in front of Jesus is a trap of the Pharisees. They're trying to trap him into blasphemy and misteaching the Word of God. So if Jesus deals with this serious sin outside of the Word of God... These religious leaders will have him arrested as a criminal and as a blasphemer. It would be one step closer to his death. If Jesus deals with this woman so that he forgives her, they will say, you're stepping outside of the Word of God. So he's in a catch-22 situation, so they think. But let's read the first 11 verses of John chapter 8. This is a critical moment in Jesus' ministry. Hear these words. John chapter 8, beginning with verse 1. Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, This woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now, Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This, they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground, as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? hath no man condemned thee? She said, no man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. May God add his blessing to the reading of this very moving moment in the ministry and in the life of Jesus. Chapter 8 opens early in the morning. Jesus had begun His day at the Mount of Olives. Truly, I believe all of us know that He started His day in communion with God the Father. It was a time of prayer, a time of relationship with His Father. And then He comes back to the temple in the aftermath of this week-long celebration called the Feast of the Tabernacles. It was over now. The week was done, but there were still people milling about Jerusalem, having not gone home yet, still visiting with one another. So the crowds were still out, still moving about. And as the crowds move about, they are on the temple grounds here. And in John chapter 8, verse 2, Scripture says that He sits to teach them publicly. I want to remind you that sitting was the accepted position in which the teacher related to the students. The teacher always sat down to teach the scripture to the student. And in the middle of teaching God's word, in the middle of giving this very crowd of people the truth of God, a major interruption takes place. A woman is forcefully escorted into his presence before Jesus and she was forced to stand in shame Among all of these people who are gathered around him, she had just been caught in the very act of adultery. And it is highly likely in this moment that she is sparsely covered, just able to get enough to cover up as she's jerked away to be brought to Jesus. Her nakedness emphasizes her awful sin. Her shame before so many people. And as we see this picture develop, something comes to mind. There's something questionable going on here. There's something fishy about this scene. Where's the man? If you're caught in the very act of adultery, it takes two. Where is he? How did he escape? How did he get away? Why is she alone? So there's something very questionable about the scene itself. Like it's a setup. And she was used as a pawn in the setup. But it was all about Jesus here. And how he was going to handle this situation. She stands there alone. I'm sure she's in tears. Utterly humiliated amongst all of this crowd of people. And the scribes and the Pharisees speak to Jesus. Look at chapter 8. Go back to verse 4 again. So these who hate Jesus, wanting to put him in this trap, wanting to see him as a blasphemer, speak to him. Verse 4, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. Now, don't miss what's happening here. In the law of God, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 22, the law of God, the Scripture of God, indeed does say that Israel is to remove the evil from their midst through death. Get rid of the evildoer, Get rid of the sinner of grievous sin through death. It is indeed the Word of God. It is written in black and white to rid the people of God of the evil, of the cancer that could take hold and draw many away from God Himself. So these religious leaders think they have Jesus pinned in a corner here. Whatever He says is going to be wrong. If Jesus says yes, the law says stone her to death, kill her right now, he will also lose his reputation as a friend of sinners and publicans as we see it laid out in Luke chapter 7 verse 34. So if he says stone her, it's so much against the ministry that he's already laid down. But if he says spare her, free her, then these religious leaders will say, you have stepped outside of the truth of the word of God and you're a blasphemer and you're a criminal. We're having you arrested now. So supposedly in their mind, no matter which direction he goes, stone her or free her, it's a wrong answer. We've got him pinned now. We've got him painted in a corner. There's nowhere for him to go. Either way, the Pharisees are thinking, we got you. You lose Jesus. Jesus. So I want you to get this scene in your mind now. And I truly believe that God gives us the mind that as we read his holy word, that the picture scene develops in our mind. It certainly does for me when I read his word. So get this scene in your mind. This woman is standing there, weeping in her humiliation and in her shame. And all of the crowd is surrounding Jesus and surrounding this woman And the crowd is wide-eyed and quiet and silent and waiting, waiting to hear what he's going to say. They might see an execution in the next couple of minutes. What will he say? Scribes and Pharisees are standing by with their arms crossed, defiantly thinking, we've got him now. He has no exit from this scene. And in this red-hot situation... All the eyes are falling on Jesus as he stoops down silently. And with his finger, he writes in the dirt. It's as if time stood still. All of this crowd silently waiting. and Jesus stoops down and writes in the dirt with his finger. The woman was trembling in fear. Because one word from him would bring her death. What would he say? Everybody is expectant and everybody is waiting. What did Jesus write as he was putting his finger in the dirt? We don't have a clue. That's one of those questions I'm going to ask when I get to heaven one day. What was he writing in the dirt, Lord? I want to know, what were you writing there? Well, some theologians say his finger in the dirt was to remind the scribes and the Pharisees of who he was. Write this reference down. Exodus chapter 31, verse 18. Exodus 31, 18 says this. And he gave unto Moses, when he had made an end of communing with him upon Mount Sinai, two tables of testimony, tables of stone written with the finger of God. Now, these scribes and Pharisees knew that word by heart very well. And here's a man with a reputation of being the Son of God writing with his finger in the dirt. Maybe he wrote in the dirt to remind them of who he was. Almighty God writing the truth, whether it be on a table of stone or the dirt of the earth. Jesus with his finger in the dirt, the same Almighty God who wrote, with his finger on tables of stone. Another scholar says Jesus was making a statement based on Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 13. Listen to these words. Write that down. Jeremiah 17, verse 13 says this. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all that forsake thee shall be ashamed, and they that depart from thee shall be written in the earth Because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. Everyone who forsakes you, their name will be written in the earth. Jesus with his finger writing in the dirt of the earth. Maybe it was a message to those religious leaders who had rejected him so long and so deeply. Maybe they were shocked thinking, he's writing my name in the dirt. If he is the Son of God, they knew Jeremiah very well as a prophecy. Perhaps he's writing my name as a rejecter of him. Whatever Jesus was writing, there was great symbolism in him stooping down and writing with his finger in the dirt. But in these moments, the leaders are pressing him and pushing him to make a decision. Lord, what will you say? What will you do? How will you handle this situation? Will she live or will she die? Will we stone her or will you free her? What's your decision? And the answer of God comes. Jesus says, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. In the original Greek, here's what it says. Verse 7, eight, chapter 8, verse 7. But as they remained questioning him, he stood erect and said to them, The one sinless of you, first on her, let him cast a stone. Those of you who have no sin in your life, those of you who are living perfectly without sin, you be the first to cast that fist-sized stone against her. silence nobody speaks nobody moves it's as if the crowd is frozen in that moment when Jesus says if you have no sin you be the first to cast the stone and in that frozen scene he stoops again and he continues to write with his finger in the dirt And in the silence that followed, those rocks began hitting the ground, released from angry hands, beginning with the eldest, most wise of the men who realized that they had been put on the spot that moment by Jesus the Christ. And they dropped their stones first in wisdom. And then the whole crowd, maybe from eldest to youngest, dropped the stones on the ground and quietly move away from the scene. And over the course of the next few minutes, however long it is, the crowd simply dissipates away, melts away until Jesus is alone with her. I want you to think of this. As the perfect Lamb of God, as the Son of God who had no sin in His life, as He relates to her, He is the only one who could have lifted up a stone. He is the only one who could have punished her to death. The only one who could condemn her. But he asks her a question. Just he standing with her, he says, Where are your accusers now? Is anyone left to stone you? And I don't want you to miss verse 11. Three words changed her life, changed her future, and changed her eternity. She said, no man, Lord. That moment in Scripture humbles me because I too have stood before the Lord revealed and naked in my own sin and realize that he alone is the only one who could forgive me of a life removed from God. And Jesus simply forgives her. And he frees her. And she doesn't know it yet. But in just a few days, her account would be marked paid in full because he took her place on the cross. He assumed her death On his cross. The moment she said, Lord, no man, Lord, it's an indication that she received him as her Savior. She called him by his proper name, You are my Lord. And she was saved that moment. He would die for her, he would take her sin upon himself and take her death upon his shoulders. Now, also, don't miss the last words because they are absolutely crucial to this passage of Scripture when he tells her upon dismissing her, go and sin no more. Listen, true forgiveness changes who we are. We no longer seek to honor or glorify, or downplay our sin, we simply want to live to glorify the Savior who has forgiven us of the sin. Amen? You cannot be saved and not be changed. Mark that down. You cannot be saved and not live a changed life. You cannot receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in your heart and the Holy Spirit live in you and not be changed in your life and in your lifestyle. Your life will reflect the fact that the Holy Spirit of God and the holiness of God is living in you and me. We We still have that battle with sin. I still deal with old Mike Fitzgerald all the time. But our desire, our looking forward is that, Lord, we want to live with you on a path that we will sin no more that we want to become more like you and less like ourselves day by day. It was true for this woman. It was true for me. It's true for you. Go and sin no more if you know me as your Savior. Your life and your lifestyle will change. So let me ask you this. Did Jesus break or change the Old Testament law that those Pharisees were referring to that someone would have to die so that sin could be removed from God's people. Did Jesus change that law? Absolutely not. Leviticus and Deuteronomy says that we that death is to come to the sinner. And God's word doesn't change. But in this account a death did occur. Number 1, we know just a day's coming Jesus would die on the cross for her. But another death happened in this passage. She died to her own sin. A death did happen in this passage. When she was forgiven, her sin was proclaimed dead. Her sin was stoned to death. Physically, she lived, but her sin was stoned to death by the Son of God and dead. He died so her sin could be forgiven. So today, as I pull this to a close, I'm going to establish an altar call. Certainly, the altar is here. The altar is in your heart. It's coming before God in a moment of rededication, in a moment of prayer. I'm establishing this altar call on a statement that I believe every single one of us, in front of the pulpit and behind the pulpit, need to say together as the people of God through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Can we approach the altar today and first of all say, Lord Jesus? Thank you that you don't condemn me. Thank you that you saved me. Scripture demands death. There's no remission of sin without the shedding of blood, Scripture says. Scripture demands death for sin. But, oh God, thank you that you're the one who died to take my place. Not one of us should be exempt from saying thank you today for what Jesus did for us. Our situation was just as bad as this woman's in chapter 8 of John. Maybe a different sin, but all of us sin and all of us fall short of the glory of God. He Himself died that we might have life. Can we say thank you today? And can we say, Lord Jesus, keep honing and directing and blessing and instructing my life so that every day I live, I will rise to go into the world to sin no more. Every day, Lord, I want to be more like you and less like the old me. Help me, Father, to fight this battle of sin with faith and with trust that you will lead me through. Help me today to be more like you than I was yesterday. Help me tomorrow to be more like you than I was today. Can we say, Lord, give me your strength that I will go to sin no more? It's the same directive that he gave to her that 2,000 years now is ours. How many will approach the throne of grace, the altar of God, be it here or the altar of your heart, and simply say, Lord, thank you. Help me to go and sin no more. Help me to live a life that honors you and lifts you up. Help me not be static. Help me not be living in neutral. But every day, Lord, I want to be on the path of sanctification and growing to be more like you. Help me grow. Through the cross, you forgave me. You will never condemn me. Help me to go sin no more. One last thing. If today you are here or if by streaming you're listening today and you have never come to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you must know that the truth has not changed. Either through Christ we will be forgiven of our sin and live with Him or if we reject Him and come to the end of our days on this earth never having received as, receiving Him as Savior, we will die for our sin. The Bible is very specific. Very plain, that we will die in hell for all eternity if we do not receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's the truth of the word, and it can't be sugar-coated, and it can't be explained away. A death has to happen for sin. If you reject Jesus as your Savior, the death will be yours. If you accept Him as your Savior, He took your death away by dying Himself in our place. If you've never come to Him as Savior... The good news is He's waiting for you. He wants you. He's moved the mountain of punishment for you if you will simply come and say, I want to call you Lord. I want to receive you as my Savior. I want to lay down my life and my sin and everything I am before you and ask to be forgiven and ask, Lord, that I will go out to serve you and love you and day by day to sin no more. I accept you as my Savior, my Lord. You come today. If you're streaming today, You can make that decision right at home where you are. If it's sincere asking the Lord Jesus to forgive you and to move into your heart and be your Savior and live with you and walk with you, He absolutely will come to you. He loves you, and He wants to be your Savior. I thank God that He's that kind of Lord who loves us so much that He gave Himself that we might be forgiven. I pray today that we will go as people who live changed lives. And that we, in going out, will strive to change the world with the love of Christ. May we pray together. Father, our God, thank you for these precious moments that we are together in your house. However we come today, Lord, if it's by streaming or an FM signal or right here in person, we're in the house today as the people of God. I pray today that you will bless us, Lord, in this message that has moved my heart Lord, I look at this woman standing before Jesus in sin, and it's completely revealed. And I realize, Lord, that my life is also revealed before you. All of us are. There's nothing to hide. You know our hearts. You know our needs. I pray this day, Father, that you will bless us to say thank you if we come to know you as our Savior and trust and belief. I pray that you will bless us to look to you and follow you that we will go and sin no more Father for that one who is lost has never come to you Father I pray that today the invitation will strike a nerve and come to a heart of someone who just needs to say yes Lord I receive you as my Savior come into my life forgive my sin renew me to be a new creature Lord that I will live for you and go and sin no more So, Father, I pray for that one lost person, that today is the day. Church home, whatever the need, whatever the healing, thank you that you meet us here. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.